0: This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits.
1: It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies Go insane. So hard it hurt your brain. Podcast, you won't ever change. These two here they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries,
0: ain't? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror
1: Stories.
0: And now here's your host, Jerry and Tracy Polly, and their dog Ninja.
1: Hey guys, and welcome to episode one twenty nine of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry.
0: And I'm Tracy. That's good. How the heck are you?
1: And you have extremely purple hair.
0: Thanks. I went full Barney.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I will say it's not as purple as it was the other day. The other day it was like Lakers purple. Now it's faded a little bit.
0: Yeah, and it'll continue to fade because that's what you do when you spend hundreds of dollars to get your hair done. I don't know
1: if I was sleeping next to you or LeBron James for a little bit. Hmm.
0: That's a bad image. Yeah.
1: I guess. He's got a lot more money than you do, though. I
0: know. Ain't that the truth?
1: So I'd deal with it.
0: I guess you would. (laughs) I don't blame you.
1: (laughs) Okay, so this is going to be a different kind of night because normally we do the main story first, and then I said, you know, in the new format, we're going to do two stories, and the second story is probably going to be a little bit smaller, a little bit shorter. But tonight, because our second story is extremely graphic, that I thought we would do a story first that wasn't graphic. That way, if you don't want to hear that story, you can at least get this story and then turn it off afterwards. So, give you some options that way. Now, our main story tonight, the graphic one, is on a Japanese World War II subject that was, um, it was basically a department... That was set up called Unit Seven Thirty One, that did a lot of human experimentation. That things that you shouldn't do to people, and like I said, that's um, it's basically all along the lines of torture, and they were prisoners or what they deemed to be prisoners. I mean, some of them were just regular people, of the that were living in China at the time where they pretty much set up shop. Um, so we were going to talk about that. It's not a paranormal story by any means. But occasionally we are going to do stories this year that um, don't really fit the paranormal, but it's like it's a horror story. It might not, you know, there's different types of horror stories. There's paranormal and there's unexplained type stuff. And then there's things that's just like, damn, why the hell would you do that? I can't believe that happened. And it might be stories that most people don't know about. And that's why I thought we would do a couple of those this year. So that's that's the deal. We're going to start off, though, with a lot more heartwarming story that's why we coupled these together and our first story is going to be from san antonio texas before we get into the stories we want to give a big thank you to all of our military and civil servants all over the world no matter which country you represent thank you for what you guys do and of course like every week we want to mention that if you're struggling out there with uh, depression, if you just feel lonely, if you feel like you just need to talk to somebody, reach out and grab somebody. Please don't ever feel like you're a burden and uh, don't ever feel like that nobody wants to talk to you about your problems. Because I, I promise you, there's always somebody out there willing to listen. And if you don't feel like that's somebody that's close to you and you want to try the suicide hotline, one eight hundred two seven five. 275 8255 that's the suicide hotline united states if you're more of a texter 741-741 and as always you can contact tracy or myself and uh, we'll talk to you it doesn't matter if it's night or day Uh, we just wanted you to know that there's somebody out there who is willing to listen even if you've never talked to us before Uh, on top of that we've got natasha in uh, that runs our group And it's so fitting that she runs the group because it's such a big support group. Uh, Even though we talk about paranormal and we make jokes and post funny memes, we also have people that talk about their struggles and what they're going through. And it's amazing how many people will come in and offer their support. It makes us really feel happy and accomplished on uh, that end of the boat and Natasha like I said she started the group and she's perfect for that because she is a professionally trained counselor Uh, so if you feel like you need somebody a little more professional reach out to her and she'll be more than happy to help you get to a happier place in life. Tracy there's stories out there that I'd say no matter which city or which state you live in you've probably heard the same story you know like you've got the one with Resurrection Mary about you know, oh, it's coming, and they would riding around the road, saw a girl, picked her up, got her to the house, and then she disappeared. And then they were like, oh, my daughter has been dead for X amount of years, whatever. Everybody's got that story, no matter yeah. where they live. Mm-hmm. This is a story that most of you have probably heard in, at some variation of before. And maybe it's even at a at a location that's close to you. So our story tonight is from a specific location in San Antonio, though. It involves a set of railroad tracks, at the intersection of Villa Main and Shane Roads. So like most urban legends, there's always a few versions of you know those stories out mm-hmm. there. So here's the basics of this story. It supposedly is in the 1930s or the or 1940s and there's a bus full of kids that was coming down the road after school one day. Now as the bus tried to cross the train tracks, the bus suddenly stalled and it just left the bus completely stopped on the tracks. Bus driver tried to restart the bus a few times and no luck. So then he notices an oncoming train oh, gosh. and he starts trying to get children off the bus. And unfortunately just wasn't enough time and 10 children and the bus driver were killed when they were struck by the train.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So that's the in general story that uh, most people will tell you about. But like I said, there's another variation, a way more detailed version that in this version has a nun driving the bus. And they're coming from a field trip. This is still in the 30s and the 40s, so the time is is basically the same. It's a very dark night. Most of the kids were sleeping, and uh, the bus stalled on the tracks. She tried to restart it a few times and was trying to be quiet because obviously the kids kids were sleeping. This train seemingly came out of nowhere because the headlight on the train was either burned out or just wasn't on.
0: my goodness
1: obviously there was no time at all to even try to get kids off the bus she frantically tried to restart the bus and before she even knew it the train smashed into the bus cutting it in half Mm. the nun was pretty much thrown through the windshield but she managed to survive all the children though were killed instantly the nun was overcome with guilt She decided to take her own life, and she drove to the scene of this accident and parked her car on the tracks and waited for a train to come. She was trying to, I guess, in in a way, correct what she felt like was um, something that should have happened that night that didn't happen by her surviving. Suddenly, she sees a train coming, and she's ready to accept her fate. Just then, though, she hears a voice. Matter of fact, there was a bunch of voices. Little, small, familiar voices.
0: Oh, whoa.
1: Her car then began to move forward as if someone was pushing it from behind. The car came to a stop. The train rushes past her, just barely missing the car. The nun was in total disbelief of what had happened. So she gets out of the car. She starts looking around. She's expecting to see, you know, some strong man or... or, or, Somebody that, you know, she figured had to have, uh, you know, maybe saw the car stalled, figured it was stalled and got out and rushed her, her aid. But she didn't see anyone. It was then she noticed all of these tiny little handprints on the back of her car. She was so inspired by the events that happened that day that she opened an orphanage and taught there until the day she died.
0: Oh, my goodness. The children saved her.
1: That's the legend. So the legend is that if you go park your car on the track at Shane Road, that ghost children will, will push your car off the track into safety.
0: Okay, that's not a thing I'm willing to test.
1: <laughs> yeah, well I think I think what happens is they park in front of it and you know, they don't really park on the train tracks so because that really would be a stupid decision. So like I said, we probably have all heard this story before. I've heard this story before in in other facets, Mm -hmm. you know. But this location has become so well-known for it that people come from all over the country to try it for themselves. No. Some of these people will sprinkle baby powder on the back of their car so it would make the handprints Handprints more obvious. So can you imagine these ghost kids getting frustrated like,
0: damn. Why these stupid people yeah, keep doing that? Every
1: time we turn around, there's somebody on these train tracks. <laughs> I just think it would be funny, He'd be like, "Jane, Susan, come on!" There's another dumbass on the tracks. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe just gives them something to do. So obviously, most people think that this is just a legend and think that it's foolish to believe that ghost kids could push your car. Brenda Pacheco, on the other hand, is not one of these people. She said that she put her car in neutral. It took, you know, she, then she took her foot off the the brake and the car moved. She said it moved really quick towards the track, over the bump, and down the other side out of harm's way. And that's why I said I think some people park, like, in front of it yeah. and wait for it to be pushed completely over and not sit on the tracks. Because that really would be stupid. She did the baby powder test and she said she couldn't wait to get, the, uh, get out and check the back of her car. And yes, according to her, there were perfect tiny little handprints. She said you could see the lines in the palms and even the fingerprints. Another witness said that she had an encounter here, but she was in like her late teens or early 20s. She said she just bought a parakeet and she was in the area in her convertible riding along with her new little bird. She said the bird was all chirping happily the entire trip until they stopped at the tracks. She said once they left the area. The bird started chirping again, but when they stopped at the, the tracks, the mm-hmm. bird just stopped. Didn't, not a peep out of it. And, wow. And so this incident kind of made her curious. So she went back and tried the baby powder trick. Now, she said she had multiple handprints appear on her car, and she said that they weren't handprints of, of hers, and they definitely wouldn't have any kids because she had no kids that had been around her at any length of time. She said, as a matter of fact, she was really big on, on keeping her car extra clean. So she was always washing it, and she washed her car with dish soap. So if even if there were handprints from previous kids, the dish soap would have wiped away the oil, so nothing could have you know, made its way through the powder that she put mm-hmm. on there. So that mm-hmm. wasn't the answer. So there's a couple of stories about the, the wow. baby powder. Now, there's some other stories from this area that do not involve ba- baby powder and handprints and stuff like that. A lot of locals will tell you that sometimes at the track, you'll hear a train coming. You'll hear the whistle. You'll hear the wheels kind of grinding to a halt as if it's trying to make an emergency stop. But no train is ever actually there. You just hear everything as if it was, but no physical train. There's another popular story that's said to have taken place shortly after the crash in in the 30s or the 40s. Uh, supposedly there's this woman, she's driving towards the tracks and she sees a little girl standing on the side of the road. She offers to give the girl a ride home and uh, supposedly this girl's like seven, eight years old. They, the little girl tells her where she lives and, and they get to the house. As they stop in front of the house and start to get out, like the little girl is really hesitant to get out of the car. So the woman just assumes that, you know, the little girl maybe ran away from home. She's scared of what the parents are going to do when she gets Uh in there, whether it be punishment or whatever the deal is. So she thought, well, I'll put the little girl at ease by telling her that I'll go up and talk to her parents. So that's what she tells her she'll do. Well, then the woman gets out of the car, and then she looks back to the little girl to kind of give her like a reassuring smile or something because she's going to be away from the car for a few minutes and the little girl will be by herself. She's shocked to see that there's no little girl in the back seat. There's nothing. What? She opens the door, and she looks all around there, and there's no little girl at all. But where the little girl was sitting, the seatbelt is still buckled.
0: <gasps> oh.
1: Now, at first, I thought, I don't know if I believe that story, because when were seatbelts even used in cars? We're talking 30s and the 40s here. So I did a little research, and I found out that the first seatbelts used in the United States was uh, from Nash. You've all, you all heard of the Nash Rambler. 1949, and then Ford started using them in 1950. So if the time was right on here, it yeah. probably didn't have seatbelts in the car. But I'm just nitpicking, but I was curious. Once again, I do do research. So yeah. anyways... <laughs> So that story is similar to like the resurrection Mary Mm -hmm. stories that we've Mm -hmm. heard where they show up at the house and they're not there. So similar type story. Now there's a more recent story when a young lady and a few of her friends had made a trip to San Antonio and they decided to take a bunch of pictures on their phone. And then uh, the one girl was, she was sending it to her mom's and her mom noticed something very peculiar in one of these pictures. It was a ghost not just a ghost (laughs) it is peculiar it was a ghost of a little girl holding a teddy bear
0: Hmm.
1: so so what is the real story of these haunted tracks well there have been many reports obviously of moving cars and handprints and uh, fake trains not really being there i shouldn't say fake i should say you know trains that are invisible that you can hear and, and not actually see But there are no records of any accidents that actually happened at these tracks. Now, there was an accident in Salt Lake City in 1938. In that case, there was a bus with 20 kids. They were trying to get kids home uh, after a really bad snowstorm. So it was blizzard conditions. And they were trying to get kids home after school. This bus actually did stall on the tracks and it was stuck by a train and no one survived. Oh, man. Now, I'm sure this would have been big news back then. As you could imagine, it would be big news today. And that probably inspired several stories like this all over the country. Um, And over time, it probably just, you know, became even more legend. That Mm -hmm. You know, just like we said, there's all these stories that pop up about it. But the question is these stories are all over the place. Why is this one track set of tracks in San Antonio s- much more popular than all the other stories yeah. that where people are coming? Many visitors come here every year, like we said, and there's really no answer as to why this one has taken off as the place to where this phenomenon happens as opposed to other places that have similar stories. Mm-hmm. We did this uh Gore orphanage. If you remember, mm-hmm. In, um, in in Ohio, and part of that story was, you know, the kids pushing the car and putting yeah. it So, I mean, you hear that a lot, and, you know, I've heard it. There's a little place in Louisville where they say the same thing. If you, you know, do this, and then there's a couple of bridges that if you park your car, we've done stories where you park your car on a bridge and it'll, you know, push your car. So the stories are out there, but for some reason, this one just seems to be, yeah, to be the more, more popular. popular than others. So. People that that do visit there, they'll bring gifts for the kids, uh, items such as crucifixes, rosary beads, flowers, and toys, and other people actually write message on the tracks, uh, messages on the tracks, wishing the children peace.
0: Oh man! I'll tell you, I've experienced seeing a woman's car stuck on the track, and it was terrifying. She had two kids in the back of the car. It was the track, the railroad where I used to live with Chris. Hmm. And it's a double track. And her car stopped and Chris kept yelling, get out of the car because there was a train coming. And sometimes there's a train, two trains coming at the same time going <sighs> opposite directions. And literally they jumped out of the car and the car, she was pro. She didn't know what to do. And probably if she had put it in neutral and just like rocked back and forth. But she would of course, she would not think of that at the time. Um, She did get out of the car and the car rolled down just enough where the train didn't hit him. I mean, it was the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life, but they were just, she was pro. She didn't know what to do. And he was like, get out of the car, get out of the car. You know, what are you doing? But yeah, that was, that was almost a terrible thing to see, but thank God they got out. Yeah. It was very scary.
1: Okay. So this brings us to the midway point of our show and we'll be, Getting to Unit 731 here shortly. Uh, just a reminder, that is a pretty gruesome uh, story of, I think, a part of history that a lot of people may not know that I kind of felt like needed to be out there, which is why I chose it. It is an obscure story. So, like I said, a lot of people may not have ever heard of this before. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just thought that was kind of a, something that it's not our normal bag, but it was something that I thought did fit into some of the stuff that we do. Now, with that being said, uh, we're going to get into a little bit of housekeeping. and mention that we've got the Louisville show coming up, and that thing is going to sell out because it's like wildfire. But even more importantly on that, a lot of you want to go to the Waverly tour after the uh, show with us. Mm-hmm. And as of right this second, there's only one tour that night, an 8 p.m. tour. We are trying to get another tour added so we can fit everybody on a tour if they want to go. Yeah,
0: that would be great.
1: And it's uh, right now... I haven't checked the recent ticket sales, but last time I checked, there was only like 18 left for oh, the Waverly, gosh. and that was a week ago when I checked, so I can mm-hmm. guarantee it's probably close to being sold out already. So if you haven't bought your Waverly tour tickets and you plan on going, you might want to go snatch them up ASAP, because mm-hmm. hopefully there'll be another tour, but there's no guarantee. Right. The Atchison, Kansas tickets on our website, com. That's where you can buy tickets for all your live events. But we also added all the extra things, links to all the extra things that Atchison's doing for us, the Haunted Trolley Rides, the uh, Sally House Investigation. There's only 20 spots available for that at the very beginning, so some of those have already been bought up. Um, you've got the tours, graveyard tours and stuff like that. There's all kinds of stuff, but we got all the links there, so you can buy all those tickets there as well. Mm-hmm. Then the, uh, I wanted to mention the uh, Lexington show that we're doing for the birthday bash in August with Tony Bruski. We we sold a bunch of tickets right off the bat and they just kind of stopped. And I'm like, wow, that's odd. We're just not selling any tickets anymore for that. And literally that's what it was because my dumb ass did the setting wrong and ticket sales had ended on like December 17th and <laughs> I didn't realize it. So we had, and then finally somebody said, hey, I tried to buy tickets to show, you know, it's sold out and if there's, any more uh, tickets become available, let me know. And I'm like, it's not sold out. And I went and checked and found out the setting's wrong. So there are plenty of tickets available for the Lexington show. That's a nice place. It's about 80 seats. So, mm-hmm. And it's a nice little private room. I got a chance to go check the room out the other day. So well, good. That'll be super fun. Yeah. And then, um, uh, like I said, the Houston show coming up with the Confessionals, Sasquatch Chronicles, Twisted Philly. That's going to be awesome. That's May 11th. So that's coming up super quick. Uh, snatch your tickets up for that.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited for all this fun stuff.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an awesome time, so I'm excited about it. It's going to be a lot of driving because we have all the equipment, so I can't just really throw all of our speakers and sound equipment and everything on a plane without it costing a small fortune. So That's true. that means, like, our trip to to Houston is, like, 15 hours. Yikes. And our trip to uh, St. Augustine is going to be, like, 14 hours
0: oh my gosh so
1: there you go everywhere we go that's in in kansas i think is 11 hours so
0: <laughs> <laughs> our butts will get a good workout like sitting in that seat
1: i know our hyundai i get a good workout
0: oh i know this is true
1: okay so it's time to do this story it will probably be one of the most disturbing stories that we've ever done not gonna lie
0: oh guys i'm not looking forward to this
1: So we all know that World War II was horrible for hundreds of millions of people. The most talked about is obviously Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. Not only were the Jews kept in concentration camps by the Nazis, but also subjected to some gruesome medical experimentation. What you may not know is that Japan was doing something similar in China. We all know about Germany and and their atrocities. We all know that Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. Interesting enough, though, is the fact that Japan may have actually started World War II with attacks in Manchuria in 1931. Hmm. It also, according to some, waged war on China in 1937. These disturbances that uh, these invasions caused shook China to its very core. It triggered a civil war and uh, a famine that killed more people than currently live in Canada and Australia combined. Wow. It lasted until 1945. Now, out of all the things that Japan did to the Chinese people during during their time there, nothing was as deplorable as what went on at Unit 731. And this is the subject of tonight's show. It's a tough one. I would advise everybody to buckle up. Unit 731 was a Japanese biological warfare unit that did things that will make you cringe. Unit 731 started out innocently enough as a research and public health agency. Unfortunately, it grew into a factory for biological weapons. Enough, in fact, to kill everyone on Earth several times over, had they chose to. All of the progress in this unit was built on the suffering of human prisoners. These prisoners were human guinea pigs that were test subjects and walking disease incubators until the war ended. There were documented lists by Japan that disclosed 3,607 names of doctors, surgeons, nurses, and engineers, as well as soldiers that were members of Unit 731. The official name of that unit, by the way, was Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department. That sounds innocent enough. (laughs) This is the first time that almost all the members of Unit 731 had been disclosed. This documented Uh, that this document that actually listed this was dated January 1st, 1945. And why is this document a big deal? Well, because Japan denied for years that the department even existed. In the late 1990s, Japan reluctantly acknowledged that Unit 31 existed, but refused to discuss any activities that went on there. So up until the point that that document was released, Everything we pretty much knew about Unit 731 was based on testimony from former members, pictures, and documentary evidence. In 2006, Toyo Ishii, a former nurse, said that she helped bury remains of victims at a site in Tokyo as U.S. forces moved into the city at the end of the war. She said that she and her colleagues had been ordered to bury numerous corpses, bones, and body parts following Japan's surrender in August of 1945. Other accounts indicate that similar experiments also took place in other parts of Asia. In 2006, a former doctor by the name of Akira Makino said he had been ordered to conduct experiments on condemned men while stationed in the Philippines. So let's talk about some of these experiments. We know that Japan formed Unit 7031 in the 1930s in Northeast China. It conducted lethal experiments on approximately 3,000 prisoners. Now, according to historical documents, male and female prisoners named Logs by their torturers were subjected to operations with no anesthesia after being deliberately infected with several different types of diseases.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So here's some of the different experiments that were conducted. First of all, you had frostbite testing. Yoshimiro. was a physiologist and he was assigned to Unit 731. He was especially interested in hypothermia and as part of his studies into limb injuries, he would routinely submerge prisoners' limbs into tubs of water filled with ice. The limbs would be held under until the arm or the leg was frozen solid and a coat of ice had formed over the skin. According to eyewitness accounts, the limb would sound like a plank of wood when it was struck with a cane. Hisato then tried several different methods to try to rapidly rewarm the arm or the frozen body part. Sometimes he would pour hot water over top of it. And you already know how that, if your hand's just cold from being outside yeah. in the and you put water over top of it, oh my how bad gosh. that burns. so. Sometimes we pour hot water over top of it, like we said. Sometimes he would hold it close to a fire. Other times he would just let it thaw naturally overnight to see how long it took for the blood to unthaw it. Then you've got vivisection of prisoners. Now, of course, we discussed that Unit 731 started out as a research unit. Mm-hmm. They wanted to investigate the the effects of disease and injury on the fighting ability of prisoners armed forces because that was something obviously when you're out there fighting as you would be in the military if you get hurt or if Mm -hmm. you get diseased they want to be able to see hey can you still continue on how bad does it affect you does it you know does it make you a liability whatever the case would be
0: that's terrible
1: one element of the unit called maruda they took an unethical turn in the research by observing injuries and course of disease on living patients at first these patients were volunteers from the Army. Eventually, though, they ran out of volunteers and they wanted to do more you know, drastic and evasive procedures, so they decided to start using Chinese prisoners of war and Chinese civilians. Now that they didn't need consent from the participant like they would volunteers, they could pretty much do whatever they wanted to. This is when they started referring to these uh, test subjects as logs and that's by the way when he said that that division of it was Maruda, that's Japanese for logs.
0: Hmm.
1: So the study methods of these experiments were absolutely barbaric. Vivisection is the practice of mutilating human bodies without anesthesia, so you can study the operations of the living systems. Thousands of men and women, mostly Chinese communist prisoners, as well as children and the elderly farmers, in the area were purposely infected with diseases such as cholera and the plague. They had their organs removed before they died in order to study the effects of the disease without decomposition that would normally occur after death. These subjects had limbs amputated and reattached to the opposite side of the body. Others had limbs crushed or frozen. Some had circulation cut off so they could study the effects of gangrene. Once the prisoner's body was all used up, they were either shot or killed by lethal injection. Oh my God! Some were even buried alive. None of the Chinese, Mongolian, Korean, or Russian prisoners survived their confinement in Unit Seven Thirty One. Mm. You went into Seven Thirty One, you weren't coming out. So far, this story's been pretty tamed mm-hmm. compared to where That's the rest tame. compared to where the rest of it's going. So now we've got weapons tests. Now, obviously, the Japanese were interested in the effectiveness of various weapons. So to test effectiveness, they would take a large group of prisoners out on the firing range and blast them from various ranges by multiple Japanese weapons, including the Nambu 8mm pistol, bolt-action rifles, machine guns, and grenades. Uh, they would use these experiments to the study wound patterns and depth of penetration. They would compare the bodies of the dead or the dying prisoners to each other to, to just see which was worse, which was better, what did this, what did that.
0: What a bunch just sick asses.
1: Oh, but wait, there's more. Bayonets, swords, and knives were also studied this way. In these cases, they usually tied the prisoners up for these experiments. Flamethrowers were tested on both covered and unexposed skin. The torture didn't stop there, though. There was also a gas chamber. And these were set up so they could test nerve gas and blistering agents. Heavy objects were dropped onto bound prisoners to study injury due to crushing.
0: Oh, my Lord.
1: Prisoners were deprived of food or water so they could learn how long humans could go without either before they died. Mm. Some victims were allowed to only drink seawater or given mismatched injections of human or animal blood to destroy the transfusion and the clotting process.
0: God, what in the world?
1: There was also testing on prolonged x-ray exposure. This sterilized and killed thousands of prisoners. Needless to say, that it also caused horrible burns when the plates were either miscalibrated or held too closely to the nipples genitals, or faces. This brings us to G-force testing. Now, these were done to study the high G-force effects on pilots and paratroopers. Unit 731 personnel would load humans into a large centrifuge, and they would spin them at higher and higher speeds until they either passed out or died. This was usually at about 10 to 15 Gs. Young children showed a lot lower Threshold for the G force than what the adults did. Wow. Then, then we've got syphilis experiments. Mm. Venereal disease has been a thorn inside of military people going all the way back to ancient Egypt. So it stands to reason that this would be an experiment that they would want to conduct here. To learn about the illness, they assigned infected prisoners of Unit 731 and withheld treatment to observe the cure, the course of the illness as it went through all the different stages the only exception to this was when they used a primitive chemotherapy agent called salvarsan and they would administer this over a, a couple of month period mm-hmm. so they could observe the side effects now to ensure if effective transmission of the disease Male prisoners with the disease were ordered to rape both males and female prisoners. They would then be monitored to observe the onset of the disease. Now, if the first rape didn't infect the prisoner, more rapes were arranged until it did. Unfortunately, rape was a common practice and not just for the syphilis testing. You see, female prisoners that were of childbearing years were forcibly impregnated so that weapon and trauma experiments could be done on the effects of pregnant women. After being infected with various diseases, exposed to chemical weapons, suffering crush injuries, bullet wounds, and shrapnel injuries, the women would then be opened up and the effects of the fetus studied. Oh, God. The whole reason of Unit 731's research was ultimately to create horrific weapons of mass destruction by 1939. That was the goal. These weapons were to be used against the Chinese population and the American and Soviet forces. Unit 731 went through tens of thousands of prisoners in various facilities across Manchuria. These areas had been occupied by the Japanese forces for years. Inmates at these facilities were injected with several of the most uh, dangerous pathogens known to science. Pathogens such as Yersinia pestis, now that'll cause bubonic and pneumonic plague. And you got typhus was another big one. The Japanese hoped that it would spread from person to person after being deployed and destroy most of the population of these disputed areas. Oh, wow. So to breed the most lethal strains possible, doctors monitored patients for rapid onset symptoms and quick progression. The prisoners who pulled through were shot. <laughs> the ones who got the sickest fastest were bled to death on the mortuary table. Then their blood was used to infect other prisoners. The sickest of those prisoners would then be bled to death and then blood used to keep making a more and more powerful strain of the disease. One former member of Unit 731 said that the sick and non-resisting patients would be laid out on a slab, a line inserted into their cartoid artery. When most of the blood was siphoned off and the heart was too weak to pump anymore, an officer with leather boots climbed on top of the table and jumped onto the victim's chest with enough force to crush the rib cage, causing another gush of blood to spurt into the container.
0: What the hell? Oh, my God.
1: At one point in time, they had bred the disease bacillus to a lethal caliber. They exposed the prisoners to a large number of fleas. Fleas were the number one spreader of y pestis. So the fleas were then packed into dust and sealed into clay bomb casings. On October fourth, 1940, Japanese bombers dropped these casings over the Chinese village of Kuzo. Each was loaded with over 30,000 fleas that had sucked blood from a dying prisoner. Witnesses to the bombing recall a fine reddish dust settling all over the surfaces there in the area and then a rash of painful flea bites that affected almost everyone in the city. It is known that over 2,000 people died of the plague following this attack.
0: Wow, isn't that something?
1: Another 1,000 or so died in the nearby city of Yiwu after sick railroad workers actually carried it there. So attacks using anthrax also killed over 6,000 more in the area. In August of 1945, after the U.S. dropped nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Soviet Army invaded Manchuria and annihilated pretty much the, the Japanese forces there. That's why Emperor, uh, when, when the emperor at the time read his famous uh, surrender over the radio, and Unit 731 was officially disbanded. So most of its records at that time were burned. Thirteen years of research up in flames. So, what as horrible as this was, there could have actually been some good information that came out of it, that you could have at least said, "Well, this was horrible, but we learned this and that." But
0: then it all went up in flames.
1: But yeah, so they so destroyed all, all of was, it. So even if there was anything positive that could have came out of it, so it was all, all gone. that
0: was for nothing.
1: All of it was for nothing. Most of the researchers. Uh, slipped back into civilian life like nothing ever happened. And some of them even became prominent members of facilities at top universities in Japan. So to this day, Japan has not apologized to China for the atrocities committed there. And China has not forgotten either. So as the last witnesses to these horrible acts get older and die off, it actually looks as if Japan is content to just pretend it didn't happen.
0: Wow, that is insane. That's that's the craziest crap I've ever heard.
1: I mean, can you imagine I mean we've talked about some horrible stories on here from the way the slaves were treated yeah. and you know, but it's you know, when you look at a lot of these slave stories, you're talking seventeen hundreds, early eighteen hundreds, which is a long time ago, but it's still, you know, within a couple of years. But when you talk about this, this is the nineteen forties. I mean we're not even talking 100 years ago. We're talking 75, 80 years ago.
0: Yeah. It's so scary to think, well, people could do this today.
1: So you had Hitler doing what he was doing to Jews and the Japanese doing what they were doing to Chinese all at the same time.
0: I don't know, honey. It's disgusting. It's, it's disgusting. It's crazy.
1: But like I said, I, I know this was out of the norm from what we do, but at the same time, it's a horror story. It's not a paranormal story, but mm-hmm. it is a horror story when you think about people have the ability to do that kind of thing I know. and not think twice about
0: it. I know. That, that's the scariest thing in this world. And at the end of the day, it was all for nothing.
1: Yeah, at the end of the day, it was all for nothing. I love you. I love you too. So anyway, that was this week's story. Um, Sorry if anybody was disturbed by it, but we tried to give the disclaimers in the beginning just to let you know. Yeah. So we won't do too many stories like this. Yeah, I don't like those stories. But people do ask for them, and there is a little bit of a a want for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: All
1: right, so what do we got as far as uh, we're going to start with the iTunes reviews?
0: Sure, if that's what you'd like to do. Go ahead. Oh, boy. All right. We have... Captain Cadero, Liz Evans, 5, Sandy Kane, you know what? I think it's just Liz Evans. Sorry, Liz. Sandy Kane, 51, King and Queen, 2016, Frag Frats, Kendra Zeke. Oh my god, I love this one. Wax my George W. Bush. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no my God. That's so amazing. I love it. Detroit Darren and Kay Cummings. Thank you guys for your reviews. They were marvelous, and we appreciate you guys so much. We just love you, love you.
1: And it's funny. We went out last week and explained all the tears to Patreon because we hadn't done it in forever. We keep getting people asked, and we keep putting it off because we forget about it. And then we went out and did it and had a record-breaking number of people join Patreon. Oh, no.
0: It's just unbelievable. So here we go Donna Smith, Darren Pemberton, Chad Daggett, Dan Garrity, Don Husan, which raised hers. Thank you, doll. John Hungate, which raised his. Caitlin Huff, Tina Theopolis, Justin Harrow, Elizabeth Bracken, and Tamara Sanchez.
1: And a big congrats to the Huffs, Caitlin and, ja- um, and Jamie, because they have a newborn at home.
0: Oh, congratulations. We should have mentioned that
1: a couple of weeks ago because it's it's been a long time coming. So. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. And so we just kind of dropped the ball on that. Yeah. Luckily, the doctor didn't drop the ball because that would have been. Because <laughs> those little buggers are slippery.
0: They are. They come flying out there sometimes. But we appreciate you guys so much uh, for your support. It means a lot to us. The reviews mean everything to us as well. And we just, I don't, I mean, we're just so humble. We don't know what to say. And it just amazes us every week. You guys are the best.
1: Thank you. We'll see you next week.